Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Drop Zone. It's Die Hard in the skydiving world, the world of skydiving, where we jump out of planes and defeat Gary Busey and go to Florida. I don't know which one of those is the scariest. I can't decide. <sighs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, wrap it up. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. Good times, guys. All right, Good we'll times. see you next week. Um, no, I am so excited about this movie. We were just talking about, like, I was weirdly getting nervous because this is this one's kind of had a long runway and a long We've been talking about it for a while. And, and it's actually a very, very special film. Um, to me. And I kind of wanted to tell a little anecdote that I think you'll find uh, amusing about when Is I first saw this Is this from your days film. at skydiving school when you were a skydiver? It, it's, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. I, I don't really, I don't really want to get into that right now, but what I will say is, so I saw this movie when it came out. Um, so I was 13, I was 13 years old, 13 years young. And as I recall, I saw it with a dear friend of mine, Chris Nicholson, from, uh, it was a high school buddy of mine. And I absolutely loved it, loved it. There was something um, so exhilarating about seeing this movie in the theater that is really, really lost when you watch it at home because, and again, it's a word we've talked mm. about a lot. It, it was a hugely experiential movie. You felt mm. like you were flying you felt like you were uh with the way it's shot you know with some of the stuff especially in the second half when there's some really elaborate skydiving sequences um and uh you know it's it's like with the july 4th stuff where there's like giant mm -hmm. rings of people and there's a later bit where they're in these kind of like amazing like tron like suits that light up and i'm telling you i was like it was a truly like uh, absolutely ecstatic kind of a cinematic experience, right? So I, I really, really loved it. I thought it was so hmm. satisfying, so so exciting, and um, I went to I, 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 and then I, I, at the time I think I just started subscribing to Empire uh, Magazine, and there was a bad review in Empire Magazine. Mm. It was like a two star review, and I took such exception to this review that <gasps> I, I wrote an essay at school yes. that was like a counter, a counter argument to it because I, I was like personally offended by this, oh, wow. by this review. And it was, and I was, so I remember this and I was trying to, as I've been building up the episode, I was trying to unpack like what was going on there because of course a critic is entitled to, to a review and, and, you know, but I, what I, what I think I took exception to was the idea that this review was going to discourage people from having the experience that I mm -hmm. had. And I knew maybe on some level that this wouldn't be the same on video. It wouldn't be the same at home. It was something that had to be experienced in the theater for its like maximum impact. So I was really kind of like weirdly hurt and saddened by the fact that someone had mm. kind of besmirched. It was almost like my experience had been besmirched in some way. So I would love, unfortunately, this essay is lost to the, is lost uh, like tears and rain uh, to, <laughs> to the sands of time. I would love Hang to on, let read me it. Evangelist. Because let me it just would get be, my, yeah. I imagine it is hilariously, um, you know, uh, earnest um, and, you know, misguided. Well, that's a great story. But, yeah, I, I mean, I just, 
I thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah. Know? No, I mean, you know, it's so funny because um, until Tuesday, I had never seen this movie. Um, and I say that like, I, I, there's a good chance that it was like on TV. It was on TBS at some point or some channel and I had it on the background. But um, my Wesley Snipes relationship or my relationship to Wesley Snipes is really defined by Major League Passenger 57 and um, Boiling Point, which I, I want to get into that. Yeah, when I don't we get know to the hero if section, that's I'm... a good movie, but it's certainly a movie that like lives on in my in my brain. Um, and I will, man. There's so much to unpack there. First of all, I think it's kind of great that that's the movie that sort of made you a burgeoning film person, like you know, or like someone that would wanted to like put into words like how they felt about something. And um, you know, I listened to. Or an interview about this film, or not an interview, excuse me, a podcast episode that described it as like, a, and and I don't think this was an insult, like a perfectly good two and a half star movie. But I will say that I totally think you are right that a movie like this on the big screen, because you can feel it in some of the imagery in this movie when they're jumping out of the plane or like when they're actually skydiving, you're like, God damn it. This looks incredible. And I imagine it's all it's stunt doubles. There's no insurance company that's going to let them do that stuff for real. Right. But it's pretty amazing. It really is. It really and is. It makes me every time this happens in a movie, it makes me think about uh, another, I think, uh, underappreciated movie that I've grown to love. The Dark Knight Rises, which a lot of people hate. And I have come to love and want to rewatch all the time. And I'm not saying it's great, but like the opening sequence of that movie is so impressive. And, and I saw in on IMAX and was always like, Holy crap, this is like, it's amazing. This has some of that flair to it. This movie has some of that, ex like, like death defying excitement. And that's, yeah. you know, so like, I do think that it can be hard to see the merits of a movie like this on the big screen. It can be hard to see the merits of this movie when you're only watching it. No matter how big your TV is, there's nothing like, you know, we went and saw Aliens recently on the big screen in 70 millimeter. And I, I think you probably agree, like that changed my relationship to that movie because I'd 100%. never seen it on the big screen. It's a very before. different experience. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm really excited to talk about this because like, I think this movie has a reputation as like, I don't know if bad's the right word, or but maybe forgettable, or a movie that that time has forgot. Um, but I don't yeah. think that that's a necessarily a fair assessment of a movie that I'm not in love with. But well, I that's, think and that's is why I, that's why I thought it, you know my, my the angle I wanted to come at it was I think that's absolutely right. Like, I think the cultural perception of this movie is this is a pretty straightforward, forgettable programmer that is that is mixed into the shuffle of a bunch of very similar. Uh, Wesley Snipes movies and, and and similar movies that have also explored similar territories such as Point Break and and Terminal Velocity right which we which we've covered and we'll, we'll yeah, talk about yeah and the even two movies in, like Aspen Extreme came up in an interview I listened to remember the film Aspen Extreme about the two I don't. guys it's not an action movie but it's about two guys that moved to Colorado to become ski instructors and it was like probably ninety three would be my guess there was like this post 
I don't know, this like early 90s sports thing that came Extreme through. Sports Extreme sports was a sports. thing. Yeah. And subcultures as well. Subcultures was totally. a big thing. That, that you identified with a certain community. And this film, it's, it's, it's actually an aspect of this film that I really, really like. And I think it's a little bit more successful in, in that regard about the subculture than Terminal Velocity because Terminal Velocity has only got like 10 people in the entire film. Whereas this actually feels like it delves into You're a in community. the milieu. You're, absolutely. And, and John Badham has, made a lot of films that have been about very specific kind of milieus and about specific subcultures and he does it really well but before we get but too before far, we do phil could you give us some top line facts about the film drop zone yes i'd be delighted to so drop zone had its wide release on december the 9th 1994 um it was that that's less than two months after Terminal Velocity, which we just mentioned, which was uh, September 23rd of that year, uh, about five weeks after The River Wild, which was September 30th, and six years after Die Hard. It was directed by John Badham and written by Peter Barsicini and John Bishop, based on a story by Barsicini and uh, Tony Griffin and Guy Manos. Um, it stars Wesley Snipes, Yancey Butler, Gary Busey, Michael Jeter, many other great actors that we'll, we'll get to. A lot of good actors those in are this movie. Good cast, good ensemble. Um, on an estimated budget of $45 million, it grossed $62 million. Um, so a sort of um, mildly, you know, sort Made of small its money profit, back, but, but probably but not, not its marketing budget back. And, yeah, but I imagine... It did well in home video and TV. Uh, I'm sure it made a bundle of money there. Yeah, I would. I certainly would have would have thought so. But it's funny because I actually never. Um, I didn't buy the video. I didn't rent it, which maybe says something that subconsciously I was aware that it maybe would have have lost. It would have been sort of the experience would be diluted. I actually only revisited it a few months ago when I saw it was sort of on the horizon, and I absolutely really loved. The Wait a rewatch. minute, you hadn't watched it. Between seeing it and like a few months ago? I don't think so. Oh, that's I don't so think interesting. So. Yeah. Which I is was... weird because most of these movies I've watched like, a, you know, 10, 15 times over the years. Well, but yeah. This one so... I kind of left alone for some, almost like it was too precious in a weird well, way because I, the memory I... was quite cherished, you know? I was thinking about that earlier today because there's a film, this is completely off the topic, but who cares? There's this film called Cold War. Have you ever seen it? It came out like three to four years ago and it's about a no. the relationship of a couple um, from like the end of World War II. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, to like over a period, maybe 20 years. And I saw it in the movie theater and 10 minutes in, I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like I just was, I was, imme it was immediately obsessed with its themes and its ideas. And like, I talked about it to everybody and I haven't re I haven't revisited it and it's been on Amazon Prime for years but I'm like I that first experience was so special yeah exactly sometimes you just sort of want to leave it there you and, do. in an odd in an odd way no totally yeah, yeah and like I should revisit it especially now and this is going to become a recurring theme on this podcast where I recently purchased myself a 4K UHD Blu-ray player and so now I feel like there's things I can revisit and they're going to look great as opposed to like you know, streaming quality or whatever. And like, that's a movie where I'm like, maybe I should, you know, rent that or buy that or like get the, you know, the high quality version of it. But like, yeah. Lives of Others was one for me that was a bit like that, where it was like, mm. I saw it in a, in a particular, a particularly powerful moment. And it was such a powerful film. Well, that's film a devastating movie. I just too. wanted to leave it yeah. there. It's not one I wanted to re revisit, but it was like that experience was phenomenal. Well, there are those incredible movies that you see that you go like, that are not, you know, whether it's theme or subjects matter. But I also wonder if some, like, something like Drop Zone was just you were like, 
Like there's something interesting about one and done be- about movies because there's this obsessive thing in cinephilia now where you rewatch a movie a million times. And I, I feel like the movies I rewatch now are not necessarily like my quote unquote, the best movies I've ever seen. It's like the most entertaining, like, you know, we joke about Tenet on this podcast. Is Tenet the greatest movie ever made? No, but I, all, it, or Dark Knight Rises. No, but I want to watch it all the time. Like I want to revisit this movie. All Sometimes the time. films that are really, really perfect are almost like you don't want to watch them that right? often. You actually, pref- it's actually nice to watch something that's a little bit flawed, but it's kind of a comfort blanket. Totally. Um, I mean, why? Yeah. And that's a whole other other topic, but it sounds, it's really, wow, your relationship to this movie is great because it's again, quite, it's, yeah, it's quite strong. I think it sort of was like a little bit of like my, my youth bottled to mm. some extent, you know, and being sort of 13 and 13 year old boy, I think is probably the target audience for this film. So on that level, for me, it was just an absolute bullseye, you know? Yeah. And, uh, super enjoyable and like, yeah, I mean, I similarly, God, that's so interesting. Anyway, that's, that's very, very cool. But listen, listen, we should talk about this film's diehard dna yeah it actually has quite a lot and it does some of it uh, is quite, it's sort of deceptive because again premise wise not necessarily the most obvious but particularly as we get as you get to the ending of the film there's a there's a lot so the big ones that i spotted in terms of connections between this and the uh the og masterpiece diehard are as follows we've got the rule-breaking maverick cop who has a problem with authority of course um, highly skilled terror thieves pulling off audacious heists on skyscrapers. Mm. Uh, a quirky computer hacker who is integral to the villain's plan. Um, but it's really the beginning and the end that are the most diehard-esque sections. The the, the, the hijack sequence that starts the film with Gary Busey and his goons. The hijack of the plane is a, is a classic diehard on a uh, you know diehard scenario. Bad guys take over a blank, you know, and it's up to one guy to fight back. That that sequence involves. Uh, Wesley Snipes and his brother, both of whom are U.S. Marshals, uh, fighting back uh, against the terror thieves. Ultimately, uh, his brother d- perishes in that sequence. Malcolm well, Jamal it, Warner. We're going to get uh, into uh, him. A, a yeah. rainbow. A what rainbow a of an actor. presence. Yeah. Isn't he just lovely yeah. like, to be around, you know? I was thinking how tough it has been with the horrible revelations Ugh, about Bill Cosby. You just can't of, go back there. Yeah, you can't go back. it's hard to because it was such a comfort blanket show. You know, absolutely. A, a, I loved everything it. aside that movie, talk about like something that you know. At least I grew up watching with my family, and like was really integ- integral and, and powerful about like you know just being a kid. And and so to see Malcolm Jamal Warner is like ah. It yeah. feels great. It, it's almost like a cousin or something. It's like yeah, seeing an old cousin like I, you haven't seen for ages. Totally. That you and, have, and we you don't have great see memories enough. with as a kid. Yeah. Totally. He, he really embodies something really warm and, and lovely. I love seeing him. Anytime I see him, I get excited. Yeah. And I and I wish he'd done more stuff like this. You Me know? too. Because he's really good. And he holds his own, you know, with, with snipes. And But the, the stuff towards the end of the movie was where, where the microscope got a little bit more specific because... There's a there's a scene. Uh, basically, the end of the movie culminates with a with a heist on the DEA building, which is uh, orchestrated by Gary Busey and and his team, and it's up to Snipes and his team to to stop them. And that that sequence involves some of the following moments that you may remember: uh, a henchman being killed after a tussle on a stairwell, mm. where they fall down together, and the henchman gets his his neck broken, which is identical to the beat with Tony's death um, in in Die Hard. Um, we've got the hero dropping a corpse down an elevator shaft to mess with yeah, the bad guys. I thought of that one. Something I like to call corpse play. 
Um, John McClane is uh, is a fan of corpse play. Uh, if you may recall, he drops <laughs> with Tony with the Christmas uh, the Christmas sweater that he makes for him, and of course your boy Marco, who is dropped out um, of the building to alert um, Al Powell to to the presence of the issues going on inside Nakatomi Plaza. So, a bit of corpse play. We also can't um, forget the fact that Gruber falls out a window. That feels falling out windows and falling oh, from buildings feel very absolutely. important and that, to the which genre. Is, Spoiler alert, that is how Gary Busey meets his demise, by by falling out of the skyscraper. We love um, a little bit of defenestration, folks, don't we? It's just a great... <laughs> um, there's also the blonde henchman called Torsky, who kind of looks like Carl kinda and eventually gets like... a Carl-style death where he gets entangled with a parachute and left hanging there. Um, yeah. So then you got Mexican standoff with the hostages being used as, as human shields. There's even a there's even which is identical to the ending of of Die Hard, and um, we've got an oops no bullets moment as well for good measure. So there's Die Hard DNA all over the place. But there was also one in particular that you and I talked about that I thought was interesting with when the bad guys take over um, the plane. They there's a they call in ahead of time to the cockpit and As say you do. you're you're about yeah I'm not sure why they did that but yeah. they say you're about to be taken over by uh, posicomatis right yeah. so tell us a bit about that well, and its significance I should say that I heard that when I watched the film and had no idea what it was and I need to give a shout out to f uh, the former and and hopefully future guest of the podcast, Jamel Bowie. Um, Absolutely. Jamel Bowie's podcast, Unclear and Present Danger, um, which if you haven't listened to that show, is like some, somewhat like our show, but like with way smarter dudes about politics and history. And and they, they analyze uh, action thrillers from the 90s through the lens of, of politics. And his co-host, John Gans, which explained, and I listened to their episode on Drop Zone. And as Me just too, typical, yeah. Jamel Bowie's like, I like this movie. Um, explain that posse comatis is essentially the idea that um, there there should be no higher power in the country than essentially the county. So that means that you know it's kind of in response to the world to the civil war and and sort of like local groups saying like the military had too much power and so that they that these groups have to work in tandem with with local power, sheriff, county, whatever the case is, and as you know, t t again, as John Gans explains it on the podcast, it's something of a far right cause, right? The idea of the sheriff or local law enforcement um, being more powerful than anything else, right? And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there about American history. But what's interesting in the case of this movie, in the same way that Gruber calls for the release of his like comrades in arms around the world as a smokescreen to steal a bunch of money, right? So Gruber pretending to be this like, you know, political actor, but is actually just like a late 80s, you know, uh, thief. These guys are masquerading as right wing figures, but are really just stealing money. Now, the thing that is interesting about this movie is that Busey is a honorably discharged DEA agent. So mm -hmm. he has spent his career going after drug dealers and dismantling the larger, you know, network or in theory, 
you know, D- the DEA is, is dismantling the larger network of dr- illegal drug sales throughout the country, right? But it seems he's been somewhat um, radicalized by this job and has realized, you know, there's a couple lines in the movie where he says things like, God bless America. Busey's so fucking good. And like, he clearly has like, has lost any illusions that like the work he was doing was meaningful and was contributing to the world. So again, it's yeah. a bit of a political smoke screen. They're using Absolutely. politics as a smoke yeah. screen. It, exactly. Whether that, it's real or not, it, it reads as an illusion. As and a, it serves a, their agenda because right. they don't want people to realize that their, their actual purpose is a prison break, which is to, um, to, to spring this hacker that they need for their, for their master agenda. So they, <laughs> they, they um they cloud the whole the whole act in the idea that they're just a, a, a sort of almost a random uh terrorist group that and the hijack's gone bad whereas actually they have a secondary agenda by the way did you notice in that scene they cut off his finger to make it look like he has died on the plane yes it bites it off yeah dark knight rises they do the blood transfer in midair to make it look like the general pavel has died on the plane so again like I always wonder, like, is Christopher Nolan sitting around? This isn't a Dark Knight Rises podcast, Liam. <laughs> I know, but I just like the idea that he was, like, watching Drop Zone. He was like, how do I do this with Bane? I, lo- I love the idea of Nolan just chilling with a bucket of popcorn and Dude, watching Dude, he Drop loves Zone Talladega it's like, Nights. It's, actually it's one of his, his favorite movies. Like, it's this- his secret code for what he's at. <laughs> it all comes back to Drop Zone. Uh, I love it. Who knows? Um, Maybe so. But, you know, I actually want to jump on something uh, in this conversation that, that with the diehard DNA, if you'll, if you'll have me, that I, th- I think there's something that this movie well i don't know if this is true but let's talk about it anyways i think there's something in the way that this movie advances some of the roles the dynamics in an action movie and i'm I'm gonna go back to lethal weapon to talk about this because it it predates a little bit and you probably can think of a million examples but one of the things that even as a kid i recognized in lethal weapon is you have the 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 main guy in that movie whose name escapes me the main villain in Lethal Weapon is Gen- I think it's General McAllister. General, it is General McAllister. Right? Yes, yeah, General yeah. McAllister. Very good. Something like that. And he has a henchman, Mr. Joshua, played of course. It's goddamn Christmas. Played wonderfully by Busey. And one thing the movie does is it sets up B- uh, Mr. Joshua as Riggs's nemesis, not McAllister. Right? McAllister kind of a uh, dies by explosion, you know, before the end of the movie. Yeah. And Glover Busey, runs him over in the alley and... In yeah, and he's reaching of, for and the, the grenade and it explodes. He's got like, the movie's got 20 minutes to go and he's out of the, yeah. out of the picture. So yeah. the real bad guy yeah. is the square off is the legendary fight in the, that would never ever be allowed uh, in the in the front of the house where, where Riggs takes down um, uh, Mr. Joshua. Lethal Weapon 2 does something similar where Riggs takes on, uh, I forget his name, but the second in command of the uh, racist uh, um, uh, South African diplomats. In a way, and we've talked about this on our very first episode, Lethal, a diehard sets up McLean as, uh, it sets up Carl as McLean's sort of like actual uh, physical adversary, right? Mm. Like, and so what I, to get to the point, what I like about this movie is that it's a team movie. Wesley Snipes has a team and Gary Busey has a team. And the movie does a really great job of almost like setting up every character to have a doppelganger on the other side. And the thing that made me realize this is that Yancey Butler looks a little bit like her adversary mm. on the other side. Like, they're almost cast to look a little bit alike. And they eventually you know? have a fight, right? And they eventually in the, have a in fight. This, in the end, yeah. And then Busey takes on Snipes. And what's interesting is that 
they both play guys who've lost their positions and their relative their relative position of law enforcement and they're both yeah. sort of like on the fringe of it and then you have like swoop versus torsky selkirk selly is kind of the like the sort of oddball is kind of the opposite of leady the computer hacker and the movie does this thing of almost setting up like one-to-ones which like maybe other movies had done done this but like it really d- makes a strange effort to like set up mirror versions of these characters and like you know, I'm not saying this movie is necessarily like actually the unclear and present guys do a great conversation about like what the movies what the movie could be saying about the world in 1994 that's really interesting and I'm I'm they you should listen to it for that but it is really fascinating to me how like there's a one to one in this movie across the board. Well, we are through the looking glass here people and we're going to go further down the rabbit hole right after this break. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are back with our section, Anatomy of an Action Movie, in which we list the tenants. We live in a twilight world. And there are no friends at dusk. Of the action film Drop Zone. Phil, real quick, I just want everyone to know, I, my second purchase uh, was the 4K UHD of Tenant. And I've Why wasn't already... it your first? What was your first? Uh, <laughs> Oppenheimer. I'm just, I'm oh, such yeah, a, yeah, I'm just yeah. a, well, you, that's the one that you have to, to show <laughs> right. everyone how the TV <laughs> yeah, works. And yeah, also yeah, to yeah, have yeah, your yeah, wife yeah. be like, are you fucking it's, Isn't kidding? it funny how you think, like, I, I don't know if cinephiles like us are, are like this, where we imagine that we have to lay out our collection because we imagine at some point someone will look through them and judge judge and yeah. judge oh. our taste well, because i do that <laughs> you know i actually have them in the back of the but no house. one gives it no, no one, one can gives a shit it, no one yeah, really gives a shit well, but except, we're like except for I other insufferable people this, I, I have to make sure i have days of heaven on here as well as fucking boiling point and exactly. passenger 57 just so that they know that i got my <laughs> shit together right? i go hard too i go <laughs> yeah, hard exactly all right um the premise the premise Please. of drop zone is uh thus um, after a mid-air prison break results in his brother's death, U.S. Marshal Pete Nessip, uh, played by Wesley Snipes, infiltrates the skydiving community in order to track down those responsible. He eventually uncovers the sinister agenda of skydiving master thief Ty Moncrief, played by Gary Busey. Killer name. A former, what a name. I love Ty that Moncrief, name. Yeah, incredible, great. incredible stuff. Um, who is a former DEA agent who is now attempting to steal the identities of undercover narcotics agents in order to sell them to drug traffickers. The ticking clock kicks in with the final heist on the DEA building in Washington, D.C. during the July 4th celebration. And uh, that the, the the clock is essentially can pee and the team stop Moncrief before he pulls off the final robbery and exposes the identities of multiple undercover agents it does occur to me just to your point that uh, there was another movie we talked about a blown away that also used july 4th mm-hmm. um as uh, to potentially make a point about about america i think in th- in this point because that fi- that was a film about immigration and right. your identity and well in um, boston maybe, and what a, and that's a big deal there right and, for and the july so there was a cultural aspect right. to it but there was also a sort of sense of like 
um, detaching from the old country and stamping your authority as something new. Here, I don't think I, I'm not going to say that drop zone is like making. Uh, I don't think it. Ha I don't think it has this type of stuff on its mind. I think. I think July the July Fourth celebration is a very clever plot point to, because it's about. The idea that usually DC would be heavily secured and the airspace would be, um, it, you know, no one can go near it. But f for this, it's actually very event, smart in that I, sense. Yeah, I think it's really clever, like plotting. Well, actually. it also gives a spectacle. It lets the movie have a have a yeah. cool spectacle uh, uh, level to it that I think is is great. Are there any particular for you coming in cold? Because I say for me, this is wrapped up in in a world of nostalgia and 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 memory and and you know warm and fuzzy feelings from from my youth. For you coming in cold, were there your general thoughts like themes? Were there um, particular scenes or sequences mm. that you really really liked um, that you had thoughts about? I. Well, that's a great question. I, my favorite scene in the movie is the early one between Wesley Snipes and Malcolm Jamal Warner when they're driving to pick up Leedy from the prison. And the reason it is is because I think sometimes we all forget, especially in the context of talking about action movies, that Wesley Snipes is a great actor. He has always been a great actor. And he, the, you know, starting with Spike Lee and uh, the other films he did and, and you know. Like King of New York. King of New York. Annihilating in that. And just like was such a presence and has, I mean, I think people respect him and like him, but like he's never quite gotten, in my opinion, has never quite gotten the due that he's deserved. And one thing I love about Wesley Snipes, and this is true between him and Sizemore in 57, is that there's always like a scene where Wesley Snipes gets to bullshit with a slightly annoying, you know, like in the case of this movie, it's his brother. And in the case of, you know, 57, it's, it's Sizemore. Like, I, he's Dan Hedaya in Boiling Point, Dan he has Hedaya the same kind Boiling of Point. thing. Yeah. He's like his and buddy, just, right? He's always just like the smartest guy. He's just always a smart, cynical figure in these movies. Yeah. And like, I just love him. I think he's great. Obviously, we've, we've you know, this is our third movie with Wesley Snipes in him. So I love that scene. I will watch Gary Busey like kind of in a weird way, like cage before cage, like a guy who just throws shit at the wall. I don't mean to compare them, but like Gary Busey is just not afraid to like wear Hawaiian shirts and go over the top and be ridiculous. And like, it's such a, it's such a great figure for me. It's like the cage really, I'm sorry. Snipes really sticks out. Busey really sticks out. I think Yancey Butler's really, really great in this movie. And then my absolute favorite moment in the movie is a sequence. I'm not going to get into it now, but it involves gunplay that yes, we'll get gets into it close in to John, not, yeah. not in quality, but has a open reference to John Woo. And I will say that the moment that I think is most amazing is when they're skydiving and the fireworks are going off in the background. Like that is one of those moments where you're like, holy That's shit. That's what I'm telling you, man. They like, don't make the movies theater. like this anymore. Like it it's was, just. It's, multi, it's like 360 degrees. It's multidimensional. There's so yeah. much like stimuli yeah. going on. You know, it was really, really great. And and it's all underpinned by this fantastic Hans Zimmer score. That's yeah. just That just sends your heart soaring. Oh, we're it's doing two brilliant. Hans Zimmer scores in a row with our next movie that's yeah. really interesting yeah and, i mean this i when they when i rewatched the movie um with fresh like a few months ago and it began and it was like 
the Paramount Pictures logo and it was like Hans Zimmer with the slide guitar. It was a little bit of Thelma and Louise in there. Mm. And then there's this shot like oh, going over. Yeah, that's skimming a great, over yeah. the, the, I think I assume the Everglades. Um, I think it's Shades of clear and present danger that or, or Patriot games where it opens. The trees, yeah. And there's this incredible font and it's like, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, this is amazing. You know, I, 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 I was just so into it. You know, I think what's so good about what you're saying is that like, there's a genre movies like this don't get made on the scale anymore. And I'm not, no, I'm not, that, I'm not. That's what shocked me. It was like, yeah. this is a Paramount movie. This yeah. is like a mini major studio, yeah. just like doing a little dirty programmer for, for 15 million. This is like a major release. Well, and it's all you know? practical. And like, it's a movie for adults with action in it. It's not heavy. It's not complicated. There are things you can think about it and, and have, you know, 30 something minute conversations about it. Like it feels like it takes place kind of in the real world, even though you can't bite someone's finger off. Like right, there are things yeah. about I don't know why that, they like, didn't just have like you know, um, cutting shears for that I, or something. But Busey was like, I, no, let me bite him off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People believe it because yeah. I'm Gary Busey. Yeah, I'm very busy. <laughs> I'm like, like there's, you know, we, we, we mentioned earlier and this, I am a huge fan of the movie Oppenheimer. I love it. Me too. Yeah. I think it's a great movie. It's but I think there's something a little, and you know, I don't want to sound like, 40 year old man yelling at cloud here but like the fact that in a movie for adults like that it's a spectacle and it's amazing i think it's such a breath of fresh air because we're like oh we're watching a movie for adults it's like both exciting and pulse pounding i mean like the first hour of that movie is like a him growing up the second hour is like a heist movie about building the bomb and the third movie is all the you know the courtroom drama but also the regret and the reality of it like it's this largest possible scale right and like not that Drop Zone is comparable to Oppenheimer, but like there used to there used to be like really fun three-star action movies with incredible production value that you could just go see a movie and be like, that was cool. I had a good time with that. Like, and it just doesn't I don't know, it doesn't quite happen like that in the no, same way I, anymore. You wouldn't Even really if good see movies are made, right? A, a, you know, a Paramount when I think of Paramount now, um, uh, it's a you know the, the landscape has changed. That's what that's why I was sort of pleasantly shocked to see. Oh, this is a Paramount yeah. major release. It's glossy. It's Hans Zimmer. It's beautifully shot. You know, it has a real sweep to it. It has huge production value. It has major huge production you know, value. A major star. Good at actors. The time. You know, and yeah, filled up with a really good ensemble of actors. It's a little bit reminded me a little bit of our conversation with Sean Fennessy about striking distance, about how you know these were films that now are are, are considered these sort of yeah like kind of programmer action thrillers but in those days had like they really threw money behind it they threw resources well, behind people it. They went threw and saw crafts them. people yeah. behind it they threw great actors into you know into the mix and stuff so for well, me you know um not, not to tease our next episode too much but our next film is crimson tide and the our, we'll talk about our guests at the end of the episode but um our guest is able to put the history of that movie and the actors in it in context coming out of a rich tradition. And the same can be said for filmmakers and cinematographers and people, you know, who shoot these movies, right. And produce these movies. Like they're all coming from like real backgrounds and real training. And I think it makes a huge difference. Not to say that filmmakers aren't doing that now, but like it was just, there was a, such a high degree of competency across the board to make a movie at for $45 million, you and know? there has been a kind of clamoring, I think, as well, for, for a return to these sort of mid, what would be called sort of mid-level budget yeah. uh, films, you know, because it has tended to be sort of polarized to like 200 million tent poles and, and all the rest. Of well, it's also so much more you know, expensive to make or, a movie now. 
or a low budget horror, right? Yeah. Like, could you how to make something that's profitable? The budget for this movie, if they were to make it now, would be way more than forty five million dollars. Yeah, crazy. I, I would imagine so. Um, well, anyway, I, you know, th th this is a really cool premise. What I re I love a movie that like takes you again. You know, I just said like goes through the rabbit hole. This is about a character who is an outsider who goes into a subculture and um, learns to understand it. And that that part of the movie is something I really, really enjoy. The, like the, they go to that bar and there's a tradition where they ring a bell and have a toast every hour uh, because a skydiver has died somewhere. And it feels yeah. like there's a world beyond the world that we're seeing, but it's like, it's tight knit. Um, it's hard to penetrate. They, they're, they sort of don't trust outsiders. It's a little bit like an undercover cop movie, even or though he's Roadhouse. actually, yeah, there's a little bit of that. Yeah, where it's fun to be dropped into a world that, that feels like it, it's already existed and there's relationships and nuances and subtleties and fun, you know, uh, in that world. And we we get to be sort of guided through it. So, uh, you know, there's so many aspects to, to this movie that I, that I really in, enjoy. But let's move on to our section. You know, you just teed it up beautifully, speaking about your love for, for Mr. Snipes, who I'm also a massive, massive, massive fan of. That's why I saw all these movies. You know, I right. loved I loved him. Um, I'd watch all of them. And so he plays, he's the hero of this movie, moving into our hero section. He plays Pete Nessip. Um, how does this compare, in your opinion? I have thoughts on this, but I want to get your, your opinion first. How does he compare to the other, the, the other action heroes that he has played um, recently around this time, e.g. John Cutter in Passenger 57 or uh, John Mercer in Boiling Point? Is he any different? I actually think he is. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen Boiling Point. But Passenger 57 and, and Boiling Point, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's a little more brooding. He's a little more, he's a little darker in those movies. Here, it's like if, if this is, if over here, if my hand right here is Passenger 57 and my other hand is Demolition Man, uh, there are moments in this where his comic chops come into play, his like Willie Mays haze, or like when when he first skydives, or and he's like kind of his the suit gets all wet, and he's just kind of a goofball. Like there's something a little lighter about this performance, but again, the moment when he loses his brother and after is like really heavy. So I think this movie highlights both his dramatic and comedic chops, and he's just a very capable action star. I think he's he's doing something a little lighter this time, but it still has some of the heavy. Yeah, I mean, I would just I would just wanted to look up his name's Jimmy Mercer in Boiling Point. Um, right. I, I like to be I like to be sort of <laughs> precise about these things. Yeah, John Cutter in Passenger Fifty Seven. I find that um, unfortunately, with the action movies he did, there was not too much between them. It, there wasn't, there's not much you could say, okay, what, what, how, how would you describe Pete Nessip as a character? Yeah. You would struggle to be like, well, he, you like, well, he's a U.S. Marshal. Right. right. That's it kind of thing. And it, it, it's a little bit like that with, um, with Passenger 57. There's a bit, we know a bit more about him in that because we see that he's had this trauma and that his wife died um, in, uh, in a bungled uh, liquor store robbery or whatever it was, you know, grocery store robbery. Um, and it, you learn a little bit more about him. In this one, we really know very, very little about him. And it started to get to a point where it was almost like the movie is saying, you get it, right? 
You get it. Right. It's Snipes. You kind of yeah. know what you know what we're. It's we leaning know what on we're the doing history here. of the genre or the and character, or the actor. Because you don't know, say. and he has almost he has no quirks. He has no. We know very little about his background except for the fact that he had has his brother. So they right. do the same thing. A, a cherished, a loved one is killed off. Um, you know, is, and it and you know from him... the second second Malcolm and Jamal, Jamal Warner shows up a screen. You're like, this guy's gonna die. Like, there's no way I he, didn't, he makes but it. I remember when I first saw it, I, I was so thrilled to see him that I, I was, like, really shocked and disappointed that he died so early. You well, know. you were a kid. I don't think you probably had the nuanced understanding of, you know, despite writing a letter to the editor about your feelings. I, I didn't actually write. I didn't send this letter. I, I just, uh, it was an essay I wrote at school that, that you know, just, just disappeared somewhere. But I, I wasn't, like, that sort of angry about it or I felt the need to call somebody out. Yeah. It was more like I just wanted to make a point. Like, right. why did people need feel the need to do this because they're actually going to deny people joy. Mm-hmm. You know, was was my as a child that was my right. <laughs> take now on you're it. now you would just sound like a person on Twitter. Anyway, well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't my intention. Is to point to like a, right. attack somebody, not at all. Right, of course. You know, um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting that in these in these in the I mean, you could call them programmers. I don't like that. That's a sort of um, that's a derisive term. But these movies are what's the to your action movie? Yeah, in all of those kind of movies, he plays very similar characters, and yet outside of those lines, with a performance like we've talked about, Demolition Man, he <laughs> is Great. like. He's unleashed and he's just so like, it's so vivid and it's so big and it's so powerful and there's such specific choices. Even his appearance with the blonde hair and, you know, all his crazy, the crazy mannerisms and stuff. And he's, but in these movies, he's almost like he's so underplaying it. He's so yeah, um, that's contained. True. Yeah. I, I think the sort of sweet spot for me is a movie that I considered as doing, but ultimately decided not to was Rising Sun because it's about mm. a Japanese corporation in, in LA you know, so it has the the Nakatomi connection, and it, it, it but it's really more of a, a mystery thriller than it is an action movie. It's now the reputation, and the first thing you have to say about Rising Sun is that its politics are problematic. You know, the the book uh, I think is largely considered to be even more so, and the movie's sort of somewhat watered down. But in that movie, he plays a cop called Webb Smith, um, and he. But he does really have a character. He has complications in his backstory. Yeah. He took a bribe for very understandable reasons. Um, he's not perfect. Uh, and he ha- he's also going th- into another, sort of through the looking glass, into another subculture. Right. With, guided by Sean Connery as the, the Japanese cultural expert. And then goes into this world of this Japanese corporation. I love. I, I think that's like a good example of, of a movie that he's, yes, again, he's playing a cop like he's played in all right. of these movies. And going on to Murder at 1600, which we'll also eventually cover. They all feel a little bit like they're cut from the same cloth. And I, I think it does him a bit of a disservice because as we've talked about, he has such extraordinary range as a as a comic actor, as a dramatic actor. You know, doing move and then doing movies that we like, The Fan and One Night Stand, where he can really do serious dramatic acting, and then the comedy stuff, Major League, White Men Can't Jump, all the rest of it. And most of these movies are just—it's like a little bit of a shame that he's so uh, contained. You know, just because he's got so much more to offer as a performer, mm. you know. So, but yeah, but these movies are still great. Written. The thing that I think is, is fair to say is that like. No, to be obvious, actors have different functions, right? And like an action movie is all about concept and execution and like it leaving you breathless, right? So like you don't want to spend necessarily, I think he brings as much gravitas to it as he can, 
right? It's a little bit like point. the Liam Neeson movies of today, where he it, the the template was established in Taken, and every subsequent film is kind of similar because people are like, we like that. We right. like this type of character, and it's a sort of sh- cultural shortcut for the audience to be like, "We like this actor in this type of role, so let's give them give them what they want." And the the rest of the phantasmagoria can play out around around that planet, right? Like right. that 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 planet is doing doing what it's doing. The rest of the solar system is going, and that's where you can have more fun with things like Busey or Yancey Butler. So let's move on to. Um, should we do let's do Yancey first as the lady of this movie because in many ways she's kind of more of the hero to some extent and I actually feel I think she's amazing in this and I was really really struck by her performance yeah when I, I think came she's great it. Three months ago, she plays Jess Crossman, who is the um, skydiving expert that um, Wesley Snipes uses to to basically infiltrate this world, or they kind of partner up. They they end up having um, uh, the, the the same agenda because her ex lover was was killed by time on Creef. We, right. we come we come to discover basically they have they're, they're they're kind of helping each other out. They both have sort of something to gain from it, so they kind of team up. Um, I actually think she's the most dynamic and interesting character and performer. She's given more in the time movie. to do things, and she ha- like there's a there's a whole part of the movie where when he's like kind of infiltrating it, where like we follow her around as she's investigating the murder of um, her her partner. And I would just say that like she's cool, she's tough, she doesn't mess around, she's never a damsel in distress. And what I love about the the movie at the end is that they have this final moment where I believe he's in like a hospital stretcher, right? Because mm-hmm. he's been beaten up pretty bad. And she's leaning on him and it's it could be romantic, but it is not romantic, right? Like it seems like by the end they like each other. And that's the biggest sort of takeaway is that they they have like mutual respect and and like each other and like have become friends. It's not about them having any kind of romantic relationship. And I found out something really interesting about that, which was apparently this character was originally written as a man, which huh. is kind is kind of interesting. And so I guess it maybe was a bit more of a, a buddy movie along the lines of, of, of Point Break, perhaps, right? Um, some, something something like that. Um, were, anyway, they, they, what was really interesting about this is apparently, you know, there's a complicated scene where um, Yancey Butler's character takes uh, Snipes' character on, on a flight and they get into an argument. He kind of in, insults her and she just pulls a lever and, and the he falls floor, out the bottom of the plane. Uh, the, right, he falls right. out the bottom of the plane, right? Totally. And she then goes and gets him and and saves him, but when does they land on the ground, on? I don't know if he does. I don't think he does. That's cuz she has crazy, to say, go and save him with like a tandem jump, right? Yeah. But when they land, he punches her. Yeah. Now and that's a moment that's pretty shocking, but apparently... Let's be clear. He doesn't just punch her. He fucking lays he her decks out. Her. Yeah, yeah. Like, it he, is a movie punch. It is like a Harrison Ford punch. Yeah, it's no joke. And apparently, Yancey Butler insisted that that stay in, even though... Because that, that was a hangover from a previous version of the script where the character was of Jess, Jess Crossman was a man. But yeah. she was like... She, they wanted to get rid of that because it's like, you can't have our hero, you know, punching a woman. And she was like, no, no he, I, he I absolutely totally, I gotta, should. So yeah. I think that was really interesting. This, this film is, the sexual politics of this film are, are kind of crazy because of the, some of the, that, that conversation with um, 
Snipes and his brother at the start of the film, it has not aged well. No, it has not. Um, it's, it's fun to watch because it's cool to, to their interplay. But like, yeah, it's cringy. It is way cringier than The Punch. I think The Punch is great. I think The Punch... It almost levels them. It's almost a weirdly it's a like mutual respect thing. E- equality thing in totally a crazy does. twisted way. Yeah, no, it, right? it and also it it like it gets away from the thing that a lot of these movies these movies have adva- you know, we've talked about how like maybe the maturest version of a of a movie is one that can, you know, refer to itself. It's why I think Demolition Man is is such a great movie because Demolition Man is not just about in Last Action Hero, those are movies that are like reflections of the character in them, right? They're meta commentary on action movies, right? And that's such like a sophisticated final version of the form. This is an example. You know, this reminds me of Terminal Velocity in the sense that like, they're kind of like, oh, this movie feels like it should have been made three years ago, right? Like mm. it feels like of a piece with the just right after Die Hard, maybe closer to a toy soldiers or something like that. But that moment is great, not because he hits her, but because it implies that he's not doing the thing that movie action stars do in movies, which is like treat the wife like a secondary figure. And that calls, by the way, back to Die Hard because Bonnie Bedelia and Die Hard is sophisticated and cunning and and like even though willis is saving her she kind of doesn't need saving until the end when he does actually have to save her yancy butler doesn't require saving in this movie and i think the fact that they are on the same level he does literally she literally has to save him right helpless so i I think that's really cool i I think she's great in this movie i think it's a great character um really really refreshing and I think you know, she's really alive as a performer. And um, I, I, I think she's terrific in this movie. I really, really like the performance and the character. This movie also has Grace Zabriskie, who's a David Lynch mainstay, as yeah, the woman who runs the yeah. field. I really, really like her. I wonder really if like you her. were going to go there. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's Wild all I want to say. Wild at Heart is, is what I think of with her. Which one? Know? Wild at Heart. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. She's terrifying, right? Yeah, as she's I scary. Yeah. Um, I also really want to th- think it's interesting how the movie sets up these two teams, right? And Busey's team is all these kind of like shitty uh, white people. And Snipes' team is like a black guy, a woman, a fuck up, a homeless guy, like an an unhoused guy, you know, like as like kind of the inverse to these like former law enforcement right wing weirdos. So the equality that the movie presents in the character. Listen, maybe we're reading into it a little bit, but it's there and it's interesting. It's true. Yeah. They're well they're sort of the scrappy underdogs, aren't they? And the plane doesn't kind of work properly. And they're a little bit like they're sort of outside of society a little bit. They live outside of society totally. They're in this like sort of cluster of people. World, but they're but there's something really like warm and lovely about that community, I think. You know, and they are like a little weird family, especially yep. with like the Sally character who's sort of like the the kind of wayward son he's that's kind of the sort fuck of up. lovable. He's like the fuck up He's kid. so yeah. lovable, you know, he's so, so likable. Right. And Grace uh, Zabriskie is is like the, you know, is the, is the, is the sort matriarch. of like the aunt or, you know, or maybe the matriarch She's a little bit like Margaret well. Colin's character in Terminal Velocity, though she yeah. has more screen time, you sort know? Sort of guardian of them all. I also just think that like one thing that I miss is like the dusty setting home base of move like and this is a, this has the bar and like you know takes place in a few locations but you think about like terminal velocities airfield or rocketeers there was this thing that used to happen in these movies where like mm. we'd hang out more at the headquarters of the team you know one of my favorite things about that first avengers movie is the scenes that take place on their like big 
I don't even know what that aircraft carrier thing where they kind of like talk about like I love that like stuff in these movies where we're like, oh, we're just hanging out with the team wherever they happen to be. And this film takes the time to establish like a milieu and a home base like Roadhouse, right? Yeah, like Terminal yeah, yeah. Velocity. It, it um, is that. It True is that Lies sort of... has this with the headquarters, right? Speed takes place on a bus like these like not single location, but these kind of like insular environments. But none of it works without a without us just a scenery chewing villain like gary Busey. it needs it ty mon uh you have a question here is gary Busey miscast in this movie i would argue that gary Busey is never miscast in a movie because gary Busey turns everything into a gary Busey performance and you might not hang with that or you might hang with it, but it's always memorable and he's always great even when he doesn't necessarily fit in the movie. And I do think the stoicism to some extent of Snipes makes time on Creef work really, really well. I agree. Again, you know, your Dark Knight thing, right? We talked about you need fire and ice, right? You need if you have a have an internal protagonist like Batman who is very um contained and contemplative and rarely histrionic, mm-hmm. um, the villain needs to be larger than life and wild and crazy and the complete opposite, like the Joker, right? So this is a little bit like that to some extent, in the sense that yeah, Snipes tends to be pretty is pretty contained. He rarely kind of has um emotional outbursts, even though he's experiencing a lot of emotion and grief. Um, much like Batman, actually. Um, so you need this villain that's just like absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He's you know? great. He's really, really good. <laughs> no. He's terrific. The reason I say he's miscast, just to qualify that, that question, was like, is like if you were to say, if you were to think of, well, this guy is a DEA agent and he's like a super skydiver, uh, you maybe think of someone like really, really fit. Right? Like someone, as a skydiver is truly hilarious. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. It's like the totally. Rex Lynn thing. Like you don't think of who we love. Oh, absolutely Rex love Lynn Rex. is so you don't think of him as being movie. like a when I think of people who are skydivers, maybe incorrectly. You think I think of, of people that are yeah. like Liam that are svelte and beautiful and incred- and have six pack abs, <laughs> right? Like I, I definitely I think have of, six pack. <laughs> you know, I think of it's it, it just on paper it might sound like that is a, is an outside the box choice, but it totally works. And as you said, Busey tends to bend films to his will, right? Especially in this era, he's just such an again such an alive. Uh, inventive well, performer and he has a face he's not nameless or faceless or anything like that you know like he he does something you know it's weird to but the the <laughs> i gotta stop but the the part i thought about and the contrast i thought about and you brought up the the batman is tenant because john daniel david washington that movie is so stoic yes. right and then you have kenneth Branagh, who every time i watch that movie i'm like oh my god this guy gets fucking better and better because he just makes bold He's awful in that movie. Like you hate him. You hate his guts. But it's like the the villains have the opportunity in these movies to go further than the heroes can because the heroes have to remain like noble or whatever the case. You can't have a hero playing it like Gary Busey, right? He can be the sidekick like he is in Point Break, but he's never going to be the guy who's the lead because you're like, this guy is a fucking lunatic, right? So... Yeah, I, I, I think he's great. And I, I like an actor bending a movie to their will. I think that's fun. 
Yeah, he's a lot of fun in this movie. It's a really, really fun performance. He's got some great lines. We don't know too much about like why he flipped sides from being yeah. a DEA agent. We don't necessarily to, to I think he wants now money. servicing drug traffickers. We never find that out. There's maybe that's the kind of thing where it's like a scene was cut, or maybe they just didn't care. The right. movie the movie doesn't need it. We don't really need to know or understand his motivation for this type of movie. It it could have been a more interesting film um from a character standpoint if we knew that but i don't think i don't think it matters the film is not interested in that the film is interested in throwing one set piece and one stunt sequence after another back to back to back to get you into a sort of state of like rapturous it's excitement just, yeah, like i was movie. at 13 years old so why don't we just talk about let's the, talk about the action. the action um stunning aerial photography combined with some unfortunately badly dated back projection the reason that that happens is of course as you alluded to earlier most of the um wesley snipes can't jump out of a plane they, in your for movie insurance he's reasons, not tom cruise they, they, you know? they can't, can't they do can't yeah. do that right so for close-ups of the main the principal performers they have to shoot um with uh back projection unfortunately the technology that's used for those back projection shots has not aged very well yeah but can i just say something can i just like go on a little bit of like a tangent here not you, a, long a one. tangent when's this gonna get to tenant <laughs> so the thing about tenant no yeah i think the thing that or lethal weapon or not rises right? well i think that the thing that i love about that kind of stuff that's aged badly is that you're like it's a movie it's not real, right? Like it delivers when it really has to. And then any thinking person knows that Wesley Snipes isn't jumping out of a fucking plane, right? So it's like, to me, it's kind of like fun and quaint to see sort of the like, quote unquote, wires holding Peter Pan up in the play, right? Like, you know, it just kind of, it kind of works. And like, we've sort of jumped the shark in terms of having to be committed to realism in our, in our action movies in a way. And that's not a criticism of, of action movies that come out now, but like I can handle a little bit of like quote unquote dodgy CGI or whatever that is because everything else about it works. And it's like, you know, it, it just doesn't bother me. Like, I'm like, Oh, this is really pulling me out of the movie. Cause I know it's a movie. I don't yeah. know. It's just, it's just, it's not as bad as like the verisimilitude of it doesn't, it's like, I, I know what I'm watching here, right? So I'm just not bothered by it. I think people want things to be really realistic. I'm like, eh, I'm just watching a movie and I know it. And that's fine. Yeah, I forgive I forgive all that stuff. It doesn't sort of, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me. Um, I do think it's worth touching on, you know, we talked a lot about how incredible the aerial photography is, how immersive that stuff is. Um, but I did want to talk to you a little bit more about this final sequence in the skyscraper because of the John Woo-ness. Yes. And, and, and especially because when I was just re-watching it this morning, there's a moment where there's this great sequence where it, it, it almost feels like, this reminds me as a screenwriter, when sometimes you're racing to finish a script, right? And if you're lucky, you're beamed into the, some higher force that is just inspiring and you're just like bashing stuff out. You're just almost, because once you get towards the end, you can, it's almost like running a race where you can see the finish line. You just start writing yeah. crazier and crazier and crazier and faster and faster stuff um, to get, because you can almost, you can see the ending. And this movie has that energy towards the end um, as as things progress. It gets sort of slightly ragged in a really fun way. I see what you mean. You know, yeah. and there's this great sequence where uh, Snipes and Busey are either side of this sort of bank of computers it, dude, it taking rules. shots at each other. It's And that bit was like, holy shit, this is like really, really cool and different from everything else we've seen, right? It feels a little bit 
um, it felt in a weird in an action in the world of action movies. It felt weirdly realistic, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, well, it's even though it's stylized, as, it's like yeah, and it's like it's the John. It's the it's like the sequence when they're going down the hallway and hard boiled, right? It's like the guns are extensions. They're like swords, right? So like they're kind of using them in that dynamic way, and like it's out of control and it's crazy, and it's like up close and personal, and There's like a desperation to it. I think as well yes. for the characters that yes. I, that, I, that it doesn't feel like clean and everything is like uh, pre-planned. It's like for both characters, the plan is kind of out the window and it's literally about to go out the window in a second. But there's this great sequence that was very John Woo like. And when watch, I was watching it again where they, they are they're taking shots at each other and then eventually they confront each other across the desk at the same time aim their guns at each other point blank. And there's a little underpinning of the Hans Zimmer score that echoes uh, Broken Arrow that would come out two years later, which a movie I'm, I saw like big three fan? times I at the theater. Love <laughs> I'm obsessed, obsessed with the it. The Southwest Cannot is going to be a quiet neighborhood it. for about... 10,000 years. It's Incredible so good. Stuff, it's so good. You know? yeah. So it's it's interesting from from that standpoint. But there's actually some great like gunplay uh, in that in that sequence. So I like that it goes from. I suppose what I'm saying is I like that it goes from a, a gigantic scope to something really intimate. Well, I also think that like you know uh, something that's interesting to me is like you and I like have talked on off the air about how like we love action movies but we don't love guns. Like we're not interested yes. in guns as people. Like not at pretty all. pro gun control in my life. Like it's just my attitude is that I don't necessarily like I don't love guns, but I love John Woo and I love John Woo because the gunplay in John Woo movies is like preposterous right like it's 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 so unnatural and unrealistic and i love that i love when it's like unrealistic in a movie and it's almost operatic because you're like it's a metaphor it's extension of character and like this movie just goes for it in that moment and it feels like different than say some of the other sequences like you're having fun in that moment, right? And I think that's great. And I and I just like how it, it that moment really popped for me. Like it's one of the few things I wrote down watching the movie. Like, yeah. oh wow, like the John Woo of this is the last twenty minutes of this movie are pretty pretty great and pretty, pretty exhilarating great. and and grounded actually, you know, literally and figuratively. Um, did you pack? Are you wearing a tuxedo as well as I'm your actually, parachute? I'm actually, I'm wearing uh, a tuxedo that is a parachute. Oh, cool. oh that's yes. cool. Yeah, I spent, I, the budget <laughs> I like on this that. episode is just out of control. So I'm wearing a Tron style, like tuxedo parachute right. thing that lights up. Yeah, and, I'm and you jump bit out. off someone's finger to get ready for the next. And I'm going to land thing. on, um, what theater is it where they have the Oscars? Kodak? The Dolby. I'm going to land on the, on the roof of that. Um, so let's do our, uh, the Die Hard Oscars, aka the Action Movie Awards, presented by Phil Gawthorne and whatever tape they put on Letty's finger to stop the bleeding when they bit his finger <laughs> well, off. Speaking of that, um, the first uh, the first award is the John McClane Yippie Kaye Award for Best Line. And my first nominee is, thank you, you threw me out of a plane and bit off my finger. To which Busey responds, you have nine good ones. <laughs> In, as the way that only Busey could do. Um, then there's the line, people probably told you that Jesse Crossman was the only person skilled enough to jump from a 747, to which Snipes responds, well, the actual phrase was dick-brained, which I enjoyed. That's a great line. And then I love this one because it had a maniacal laugh at the end of it. And you know I love a little you bit love of a maniacal You love laughter. a maniacal laugh. It's Busey's line... These knocks are walking around thinking they're alive. 
That's it. That one, that one takes it. I, I love that. What's crazy is that was his job. Like those were his like colleagues. Yeah. He did that. He was a DEA agent. Right. I really, I really love there's something really sort of existentially dark and interesting about that line in a lot of Well, he doesn't way. trust, he doesn't, you know? no, this movie doesn't trust authority, right? Like the one authority figure who's the actor who's in Under Siege, uh, whose name I forget, is kind of like, doesn't believe Snipes, doesn't know what's going on until yes, the end. Yes, Andy, like Ra- Andy Romano. Andy uh, Romano, who's great, who great, great plays actor. the admiral in, um, in Under Siege and is, is the judge in The Fugitive. Fugitive, right. Yeah, yeah. he's a great uh, Andrew Davis. He's sort of his mentor. Davis. Yeah, Snipes, Andrew Davis, come on the pod. Andrew Davis, come on the pod. Uh, absolutely. Um, I have a bonus Please. worst line as well, oh. which is which is explosives, nylons. You dating that Mongolian feminist again? <laughs> it's just just <laughs> that dialogue is shocking. And what I found crazy about that, though, just Yikes. to pin this down for a second, was it was like what was really wild was the idea that feminism was some was something in a mainstream movie yeah. in 1994. The idea that someone being a feminist was was like absurd. When yeah. in my mind, it's like. Is, has, shouldn't this be the, just a precept as the norm? I'm, and, I'm picturing like, Suzanne Billingham this... hearing that line in the background of me watching this movie when I'm 14 and being like, this movie sucks. Yeah, like, I could just hear it, you know? So I did want to call that out. <laughs> yeah, for, totally. But yet, yet, weirdly, even though that line is absolutely like shocking and repellent, um, the movie, I think, is a weirdly feminist movie because, yeah. of, because of Yancey Butler well, and Well, and her also, character. you could argue that part of his character arc in the movie is like learning to trust this woman and, and be, you know, part of, you know, yeah, part of his growth. Yeah, that's true, character. actually. It is because what his brother's saying to him in that scene is like, you, he, he says, I, I want women that are boring. And his brother is saying, no, you need someone who can run with the wolves. And that's what he actually yeah. finds with Jess Crossman. At, but yet, it doesn't cross the line to. Uh, well, it doesn't romance, become about romance. Maybe it does. Know. We don't know. But, I like, but it does I like a movie that doesn't change his perception of of women. Yeah, totally. Which is kind of interesting. But let's move on to the um, the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing, stealing the, film. the film. Who are our um, nominees, Phil? I have five: Yancey Butler as Jess Crossman, Gary Busey as Ty Moncrief, Corin Nemec as Sally. Who's mm. the likable young kid who He's good. Uh, is is sort of as you said, is sort of better the fuck up, but is sort of uh, really really charming. Um, totally. Kyle Sikor as Swoop. Swoop's good. Swoop. Swoop. Um, and Malcolm Jamal Warner as Terry. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, Michael Jeter as Letty. I throw him in. Throw I'm him throwing in. him in there. No, I, in. I think that this movie has actually a lot of like you it know, does. potential Hans scene Gruber's. stealers, right? Um, I just, I Michael Jeter is always a welcome presence in a movie. You know, he's in Tango and Cash. He's in Miller's Crossing. He's in uh, your favorite Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit. That's that's the next <laughs> podcast you're going to watch. Um, no, he's just a great actor. But I do ultimately think I have to give it to Malcolm Jamal Warner because oh, yeah, he just he just shows up on screen and you're like, oh, I feel I feel good and warm, and that's what makes ultimately his death. What a- Sad. What a gift as a performer when someone can set when you see them on screen and you feel warm. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So yeah, shout out to him. Um, let's move on to the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the movie. <laughs> um, my nominees are 
Grace Zabriskie. Uh, the, the incredibly insensitive FBI agents at the crash site who are like berating Snipes. Yeah. Like after his brother has just died and he barely survived like a midair hijacking that led to multiple Those civilian deaths. Yeah. Like and they're 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 like laughing at him and shit and just yeah. treat they're awful. That's a good choice. Um, I have I actually have Nessip's boss Tom Tom McCracken who's played by the aforementioned uh Die Hard on a Blank All-Star Andy Romano, Andy Romano right. he's just a classic give me a badge and gun yeah you know kind of character and he's actually kind of a terrible mentor he's also quite handsy if you look at him <laughs> he's he's kind of like really if you watch his performance it, throughout the film he's like putting his hands on on snipes like a little a, mm. quite a lot in ways that made me like slightly uncomfortable about his profession i don't mean that in in in, in uh, of course i'm not being serious part. it's the part but right he it's it's a weird thing because he's kind of like avuncular and he's sort of his boss and then when he needs him he's he's kind of he also is like kind of like just not that helpful uh, you know, and it's like, if that's the kind of character for me where it's like, again, going back to Roadhouse, it's like, you want your Sam Elliott there. You want your ride or die bro. Right. And he's just not that. He's well, just he's like, kind of a I'm kind thinker. of your boss and I yeah. kind of suck and I'll help you a little bit, but I also am going to suspend you and not Maybe have Maybe also back. the movie's trust of anyone in an actual position of law enforcement, like, yeah, he kind of represents the... Well, and those shitty FBI agents yeah. that you just mentioned. Yeah. Like, you know, the... the Speaking of Die Hard, distrust. by the way. Right. Shitty right, FBI right, right. agents. Right, right. What if Paul Verhoeven, ding, 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 had directed this movie? You no, just shoot that. that in for bingo. I you have love, <laughs> love Paul, man. I love Paul. He's my guy. Um, then I have the skydiving bad guy Jagger, played by Luca Bercovici, mm. and Ponytail Man. Shout out to Ponytail Man. Oh, Ponytail Detective Man. Fox of Miami right. Metro, played by Ed Amatrudo, who's the guy who's like the the rat on the inside. Who's he like, sucks. You know, the ponytail alone. And he's... You don't like this ponytail I got for the podcast? Is that what well, you're telling me? When people have, you know, they're bald, they have a receding hairline, and they have a ponytail, it's that's that's tough It's a for tough me. look. That's a tough one for me. It's a, well, you're trying... Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And you're a corrupt cop. That's, uh, yeah, that might seal the deal. Uh, <laughs> it might be him, but yeah. I'm going to go with um, Andy Romano, the okay. a, the character, not yes. the actor. Yes, because I like a little shout out. I also think he has a great face. And also, did you know that he made most of his money playing uh, in uh, Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon beach party movies in the '60s? Like that's what he did. And then when that ended, he kind of like did a lot less acting and then kind of came Whoa. back and like, I always love when someone is a mainstay of the Andrew Davis verse. And I Absolutely. like that. And they all yeah. have good faces and God, I just want to talk about Andrew. Davis I know. Movies. I know. I know. Uh, the package guys watch the package. It's great. Yeah. Um, best death is my, Oh, by the way, sorry. I just jumped into that. Let me, let me back up. Let me, let me beep, beep, Beep. Wait, I'm gonna try to do it with a Gary Busey. I'm gonna try to get, do a Gary Busey. No more, no more, no that more dude table is driving. Um, is I, I just need to? I'm just checking my headset. Is Marco in the house? Is he here? How do you do it with a Gary? I can't. No more table. Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. That's the best death presented by Marco. He's just parachuted in <laughs> uh, with a finger in his mouth. Oh. Um, this is a surprisingly and excessively violent film. It is quite violent. I was really shocked by some of the needlessly brutal deaths. Like in that hijack, there's like um, 
uh, a flight attendant is picking up the phone. Like, who's she going to call? As if it's like, oh, I'm going to call the, the sky cops. Like, what harm is she possibly doing? And one of the, one of the hijackers is like, no phones and just shoots her dead. Yeah, it's excessive. You know? The early then, deaths are excessive. And but then it's wooish. The- it's woo-esque. Yeah, it's there's some. It's like it, this movie doesn't fuck around in the way no. that like Terminal Velocity. We talked about how it's more PG thirteen. This movie is like a pretty hard, hard R movie. There's like people getting their throat cuts. My my three nominees for um, best death are Jagger parachuting into the power lines, courtesy of uh, Ty Moncrief. Right, uh, that's a good Busey, one. Like drags him in there and leads him to his death. Hot henchwoman's apparent death by photocopier. That's, uh, oh, that's Claire, a good one. Claire Stansfield as Kara. Um, she's good. I like her. She's really good. Yeah, yeah. she's really I good. I remember her from um, Frasier. She had a really good part in Frasier. She was also on Xena Warrior Princess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which makes sense because she's kind of like tall and sort of like um, Wonder Woman-esque. Yeah. You know, she's tall. And then Ty Moncrief diving off the building and crashing headfirst through the truck's windshield. Notice how that went the, the physics the physics of that. So so Snipes grabs Busey, they jump out of the building together, right? Busey uh, Busey doesn't have a shoot, Snipes does. So Busey would fall to his death a la Gruber and yet when he crashes through the dump truck he's like flying yeah <laughs> basically i know yeah. he's a skydiver but the the physics of it are literally <laughs> impossible weird. but it's kind of it kind of works for the absurdity of where the film has got to with that totally point, you know so those are my three choices do you have a i'm gonna go with Busey because it is i rewound it and watched it a second time i was like this is nuts the way he just goes into the window of this car i think that's a good choice all right well we will take a very short break and then we're going to come back to you with a re rejuvenated, rejigged, exciting new version of the Double Jeopardy trivia I, quiz. I don't know any about anything about this, so we'll You'll have to I think stay we'll be right us. back unless we cancel the podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, we are moving on to our final section of the show, which is the Double Jeopardy trivia quiz, where the scores can really change. Now I mentioned before the break that there was going to be a <sighs> slight tweak. Here we go. A slight tweak, and we're now adding a prize to the to the quiz, um, just to I spice get? things up a bit. This week's prize is the identity of every undercover narcotics agent in the Miami Dade area contained on this 1990s computer oh, disc. I thought you were going to send me like a all expenses paid vacation to like Tahiti or something. This is just a fake present. Also, this is a nice. This is a ver- Listen, I'm tapping it on the mic right now. This is this is this is that computer disc. It's a nice. Okay? It's a nice precursor to the knock list. I suppose it's a street value of twenty million dollars adjusted for inflation. You can do with that as you wish, but you need three out of three to get it. Okay. All right. Question number one. Director John Badham is no stranger to aerial action. Which 1983 helicopter-themed action movie did Badham also direct? Oh, I need a clue, because I know. Are we calling Al? Yeah, call You're Al. You're a friend? All right, call we're calling Al. Al. The film stars Roy Scheider, Daniel Stern, and Malcolm McDowell, and focuses on the LAPD's fictional Astro Division. Blue Thunder. Is the correct I've answer. I've never even seen Blue Thunder, and yet I knew. Dude. So Good. Blue Thunder is like Philly special to uh, the yeah, max, Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It is, yeah. It is be so beyond my jam. It is not even funny. It's absolutely incredible. On my friend, um, 
Andy Marano's podcast, The Andy Plex, I did a whole deep dive on on Blue Thunder. So wow. you can you can find that. It's one of my all time. I actually think it's the most underrated action movie of the eighties. Do you it's have the four K? Can I borrow it? It's spectacular. Cool. No, it's in a vault that yeah. I don't allow anybody to. Yeah. Uh, to Dear touch. Fort Knox. Fort um, Philly. <laughs> all right, next next question. Fort Phil would have been funnier. Damn it. Okay, next. Next question. Who is the only actor in the film who actually performed their own skydiving stunt for real? Michael Jeter. Is correct. I also looked at the Wikipedia, Phil. <laughs> actually, maybe that wasn't there. I don't know, but I got it somewhere. I oh, did, cool. No, I did countless phone interviews. I'm I did. One, How you're doing dare a, you? You're doing How a, dare you, sir? You're doing a 50-episode making of How dare of you a come prop. in here and bark at me like some little junkyard dog? <laughs> That's really good. I am good. the host of Die Hard on the Black. <laughs> oh, my God. You are wound up. How many cups of coffee have you had today? Two. Two. Oh, wow. Um, wow. All right, let's move on to convoluted corner. Corner. We are officially unhinged. Okay. Yes. Two of the actors in this film, Kyle Secor and Clark Johnson, both starred in an acclaimed and long-running 1990s cop show set in Baltimore, Maryland. Can you name that television show? The Corner. It's incorrect. Oh, uh, Clue? The Clue is this show focused on the murder unit, and its incredible cast also included Yafet Koto, Richard oh. Belzer, Andre Brower, Melissa Leo, and Ned Embarrassing Bates. that I got that wrong. Homicide, Life on the Street. Yes, is the correct answer. Great. Were you a big Were you a big fan of that? Because no. I'd love to just talk about my that for parents a watched it. I think, or my dad did. My family was a big Hill Street Blues family. Um, yeah. But Homicide might have been a little too hard for them. But I mean, gr huge precursor to you know uh, everything, The Wire, and all these other things that come after it that are really, really important. Yeah, uh, I. It was an incredible, yeah. incredible show. I loved it, and it was weird because I, I was thinking I must have been pretty young when mm. I was watching. Yeah, it. no, you it's had to have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty grim. And, and <laughs> Philly, do you want to watch the, some the cartoons? No, mom, put on Homicide: Life on the Street. Fucking hey, turn that shit off. Like I don't want to watch that crap, mom. <laughs> I like how you. So your mom wasn't. He was like, I don't know about Home Alone, but I'll definitely let you watch Homicide: Life on the Street. That seems reasonable. I don't think they. Yeah, I don't think they knew the full extent of what I was. Well, uh, God was bless the uh, days when you could let your children. Uh, when I could get away with watching whatever I want, because <laughs> my parents were yeah. like, "We're busy. Go, go enjoy your. Go enjoy yourself." So unfortunately, you didn't get the full marks, which means you don't get the main prize, but you do get a booby prize. I got all three right. No, you didn't. With you, with some coaxing, with some oh, coaxing, you guessed the corner. No, no, well, the rules are very strict. This is a twenty million dollar valuation oh for this God. disc. You win the booby prize, which is the green shell suit. You're a booby worn prize. By, uh, this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> worn by the skydivers in the bar who rough up uh, snipes because that is a rough look. Mm, for yeah, those, he, for kicks, he kicks so their ass, though. One of those is being sent to you um, in the mail. Thanks, so great. I'll look out that. for that, you fucking... <laughs> So that's um, that's the main thing. The the moving on to our final thoughts, you know, of this movie. There was something I I did want to say, you know, I, I, about my um, you know, my feelings about this movie and and how I was sort of affronted by this by this review because Roger Ebert's review, um, which I just wanted to quote real quick. Now, usually I would never do this, but it's particular. I think it's relevant because what I really loved about Roger e Roger Ebert 
you know, well, was, he's the best. He, That's part of what he you met a film where it was yes. supposed to be met, yes. right? Like he he wasn't trying to compare drop zone to the magnificent Ambersons, right? He was he wouldn't he wouldn't look <laughs> down on things, right? He's trying to say this movie is made for this audience that like this type of film. totally on that level. Does it succeed or fail? In my humble opinion, right? And he said. Drop Zone is one of those thrillers where the action is so interesting that you almost forgive or even forget the plot. Right. The movie is virtually one stunt after another, many of them taking place in midair, and during the pure action sequences, you simply suspend your interest in the story and look at the amazing sights before you. So God bless you, Rog. The kids um, would call that you know, vibes. Drop Zone has good vibes. It's not yeah. about the story. It's about the vibes. So... I have nothing else to uh, say about the film. I have something else to say um, about our a uh, couple of other things that I have going on, if I may. You may. Um, I wanted to plug something. What? Plug it. Plug away. Plug. So have you seen a film from 2018 called Destroyer, starring Nicole Kidman? I have not seen it, but familiar I'm, with I'm it? familiar with it, and uh, I've heard it's great. Somehow, I don't know. I just I don't see all the things I used to see. So, But it Destroyer feels like Philly special. A, feels like Philly it's, special. Oh boy. It absolutely is a, it's an absolutely ferocious, spectacular neo-noir with a earth shattering performance from Nicole Kidman that will make you completely rethink. Good actress. Uh, anything, you know, like just, just extraordinary work. You never, I've never seen her do anything this um, raw and uh, it, it's just unlike anything that she's ever done. She's always been amazing, but this is like a, a truly spectacular performance. And um, I was invited onto a podcast called An Invitation Productions uh, to talk about the movie. And I just want to read uh, what this uh, lovely gentleman, uh, uh, Jim, uh, uh, had to say, ba basically what, what he, how he prefers it to be described, which is thus. An Invitation Productions is a narrative critical podcast that adapts and analyzes the work of Karen Kasuma through a series of dramatic readings and audio essays. Host Jim Panola has already recreated the entirety of Kusama's cult thriller The Invitation as an unabridged audio drama and is currently doing the same with the director's 2018 neo-noir Destroyer, marrying adaptation with vulnerable film analysis in the process. So I appear on the latest episode of the Companion series, which is titled Ellipsis, where Jim interrogates Destroyer further through in-depth conversations with avowed fans, film critics, and the creators of Destroyer itself. I also spoke with one of the, the screenwriters uh, ahead wow. of recording. And in our episode, uh, we filter Destroyer through the unique and influential lens of William Friedkin's masterful To Live and Die in L.A. Ooh, good so movie. if you're interested in that conversation, uh, search for An Invitation productions and uh by the time this episode comes out i believe it should be up there and hopefully we'll be able to drop it in in the link it was a really fun conversation about a movie i absolutely love that is is somewhat underseen even oh, it's though it's definitely like underseen nobody's seen it's critically it. I mean, worshipped yeah but it's not not sort of uh not widely seen and it should be because it is a truly On, incredible you movie. know who can act fucking nicole kidman can fucking act she's a she's an amazing actress um well, that's, I mean, that's cool. I don't have anything that good. Um, I'm still on this podcast, though. And if you're still listening to this podcast, because we apparently can go long on Drop Zone, please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Hey, look, you got to tell a friend. Tell them about the show. Everybody loves Die Hard. Everybody wants to learn more about Die Hard. Everybody loves Drop Zone. 
You can reach out to us at Liam. I'm I'm on Twitter, Liam G. Billingham. Phil, you on Twitter these days? Between I am, and I'm, X? I'm getting a little bit more involved, and I'm thinking of doing some, we might have already done it by this point, some some live tweeting, some live Xing of a few um, cult movies that I love that we're maybe not going to be covering on the show. So if you're interested in that, or if there's a movie that you would be interested in, in uh, me or, or Liam or both of us. Okay, uh, I'll do Tenet. Live fine, tweet. I'll do Tenet. Uh, it's fine. Let us know. You already did that with Bill Good, didn't you? No, we just talked about it. We just talked okay. about it. Oh, that's a good idea, though. You should plug that. We should plug that. Uh, yeah, we. it's on the other feed. I'll put a link in the notes. Um, and you can reach out to the show at DieHardOAB on Twitter. We got a really nice Twitter comment in response to our The River Wild oh. episode that I'm going to read because I love some good press. This is from The Curiosity Hour on Twitter. The Curiosity Hour is a podcast, a weekly hour-long podcast dedicated to finding out what it means to live with authenticity, courage, vulnerability, and purpose. And what the Curiosity Hour said is, the thing I love about Die Hard on a Blank is how unabashedly in love with the movies they talk about they are. Philip Gawthorn and Liam Billingham made... Philip Gawthorn and Liam Billingham have made me want to rewatch so many movies. Definitely check this show out. Thank you, thank Aww. you, thank you. What a, thank you. What a nice thing to say. That's what we try and do, yeah. right? Like, we yeah, we love the movies. Um, that's, that's all I got. Oh, I do have one more thing. Next time on the show, Tony Scott's masterpiece, Crimson Tide, starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. And with special guest on our show, Isaac Butler, who is a theater artist and cultural critic and wrote, an, the, in my opinion, the best book I read in 2022, The Method, which is about the history of method acting. And, and Isaac is going to help contextualize Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington's performances and, and why... Crimson Tide is really a great actor's movie more than it is a great action movie, even though it is a great action movie. So I'm really excited for you all to hear that conversation. Isaac is, yeah. is great. So we're, we have a great conversation with him uh, about Crimson Tide uh, coming up for you uh, on, next time on the show. All right. Uh, we'll be back next time with Jack Kirby's Silver Surfer. Is it the best one? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.